On this edition of the Super It's Podcast, we've got a big one for you. It's Every Breath You Take by the Police. Let's talk about it. Super It's Podcast, I have no special intro cooked up because I'm a professional and just want to get right into the goods. So... Yeah, I'm Alan. A slip with five eyes or slip on all the social medias, and we're talking about every breath you take by the police on this episode. Who could be out there with me? Oh, geez. It's Jamie C. My website is megamix.com.com. Uh, before we would jump on, I did actually a pretty good joke, so I'm going to repeat it. I don't know this song because I don't listen to the police. Oh, I, I do what I want. <laughs> You're a rebel. That's right. All right, let's get into this because I got lots to say. All right. All right. The Police were an English rock band formed in London in 1977. And for most of their history, the lineup consisted of Sting, who was the primary songwriter and played bass guitar. Andy Summers played guitar and Stuart Copeland played drums and percussion. I have all three of their Funko Pops. Uh, I also um, would like to note that uh, Sting also wrestling. Yes, but it's a different dude. Oh, it was? Yeah. It was the same guy. <laughs> yeah, he's not the wrestler who so, will be retiring this year, so no. Yes. Anyway, well, another, another terrible joke, by the way. Uh, so, here's how they got together. While on tour with the British progressive rock band Curved Air in 1976, American drummer Stuart Copeland met and exchanged phone numbers with uh, singer-bassist and former school teacher Gordon Sumner, a.k.a. Sting. Thing. who apparently got this nickname because of his habit of wearing a black and yellow striped sweater resembling a wasp. You know what? That's amazing. It would have been cooler if his name was Wasp. Yes, or Bumblebee. <clears throat> so he was in a jazz rock fusion band at the time called Last Exit. In 1977, Sting relocated to London, and on the day of his arrival, he sought out uh, Copeland for a jam session. So Curved Air had recently split up and Copeland was eager to form a new band to join the burgeoning London punk scene. While Les Keen Sting acknowledged the commercial opportunities, so they formed the police as a trio, but at the time their guitarist was a dude named Henry Padovani, um, who was recruited as the third member. So then uh, in May of 1977, uh, musician Mike Howlett invited Sting to join him in a band called... Strontium 90. Uh, okay. the, the original drummer who Howlett had in mind was unavailable, so Sting took Copeland, and the fourth member of the band was guitarist Andy Summers. <clears throat> so a decade older than Sting and Copeland, Summers was a music industry veteran who had played with Eric Burden and the Animals and Kevin Ayers, amongst others. Andy Summers' musicality impressed Sting, who was becoming frustrated with Padovani's rudimentary abilities... Nice. Uh, so I guess he just wasn't very good. No. Shortly after the Stormtium 90 gig, Sting approached Summers to join the band, the police. He agreed on the condition that the band remained a trio, with him replacing Padovani. So initially, Sting resisted the idea, and they carried on as a four-piece version, but uh, Summers eventually delivered an ultimatum. So see ya, Padvani. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you got the boot. So now we're in 1978. They released their debut album, Outlandis at Demur, which reached number six in the UK on the strength of the singles Roxanne and Can't Stand Losing You. Yes. Their next album was Regatta de Blanc in 1979. And for, by the way, for their short uh, period of time where they were an active band, pretty prolific albums every yeah. year. So 
they had uh, the first of uh, four number one studio albums, again, Regatta de Blanc, in the UK and Australia. The first two singles, Message in a Bottle and Walking on the Moon, were their first UK number ones. Then in 1980, they released Zenyatta Mondata, and in 1981, I think I said 1980 for Zenyatta, 1981 was Ghost in the Machine, and uh, more singles, Don't Stand So Close to Me, Every Little Thing She Does is Magic, these were all number ones as well. Yes. Uh, Zenyatta Mondata was also their breakthrough album in the U.S., it reached number five on the U.S., Billboard 200, so lots of success, mostly overseas, uh, for about uh, five years. Yep, indeed. So we get to 1983. <clears throat> the fifth album, Synchronicity, is released on June 17th by AM Records. And aside from Every Breath You Take, which we'll dive into shortly, it also contained the singles King of Pain, Wrapped Around Your Finger, and Synchronicity 2. Yes. The album's title and much of the material for the songs were inspired by Arthur Kostler's uh, The Roots of Coincidence at the time of its release and following its tour, the police's popularity was at such a high that they were arguably, according to BBC and The Guardian, the biggest band in the world. Okay. Synchronicity reached number one on both the UK albums chart and the Billboard 200 chart and sold over 8 million copies in the US. It was included in Rolling Stone Magazine's list of 100 Best Albums of the 80s and 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. At the 1984 Grammy Awards, the album was nominated for a total of five awards, including Album of the Year and won three. And in 2009, it was included into the Grammy Hall of Fame. So big, big album. Yeah. Uh, the producer of the album was Hugh Padgham, who we've uh, talked yeah. about before and we'll talk about again. A classic. Uh, he is an English record producer and audio engineer. He has won four Grammy Awards. And uh, basically, his co-productions include hits with Phil. Yes. Phil Collins, Genesis, The Human League, XTC, and Sting. And along with Peter Gabriel, who we're going to be talking about in a couple of episodes. Yes. Uh, he may be best known for pioneering the gated reverb uh, drum sound that was used most famously in Phil Collins' song In the Air Tonight. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. So now, the single Every Breath You Take. It was the first single from Synchronicity, released on June 17th, 1983. It was written by Sting. A demo of the song was recorded in an eight-track suite in North London's Utopia Studios and featured Sting singing over a Hammond organ. The band initially tried the song in a variety of different styles and arrangements. Get this, such as reggae. Of course. <laughs> you know, I love the police, but... Like, enough with the reggae guys. Like, yep. come on, dudes. For sure. While recording, guitarist Andy Summers came up with the guitar part inspired by Bela Bartok, which I was like, that's little Bela Bartok to me when I oh, heard that. Absolutely. Uh, I, definitely, I definitely heard that immediately. Yeah. He was asked to put guitar into a simple tracking, uh, a backing track of bass drums and a single vocal with Sting offering no directive beyond make it your own. And uh, so uh, Summers said... Uh, where is this quote? Here we go. This was a difficult one to get because Sting wrote a very good song, but there was no guitar on it. He had his Hammond organ thing that sounded like Billy Preston. It certainly didn't sound like the police. We spent about six weeks recording just the snare drums and the bass. It nice. was a sim it was a simple classic chord sequence, but we couldn't agree how to do it. I'd been making an album with Robert Fripp, and I was kind of experimenting with playing Bartok violin duets. 
and had worked up a new riff when Sting said, go and make it your own. I went and stuck that lick on it, and immediately we knew we had something special. Nice. So, as any fans of the police would know, the recording process was fraught with difficulties. Of course it was. Uh, as personal tensions between band members, particularly Sting and Stuart Copeland, came to the fore. Producer Hugh Padgham claimed that by the time of the recording sessions, Sting and Copeland, quote, hated each other. Of course they did. And had f- verbal and physical fights. You know, nice. give, Sting giving them a couple of Stinger splashes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, the tensions almost led to the recording sessions being canceled until a meeting involving the band and group's manager, Miles Copeland, who was Stewart's brother, resulted in an agreement to continue. Uh, he probably just made like the money sign with his fingers. Of course he did. Um, so if you go out and Google, why did the police uh, break up? You'll get a lot of articles. I'm sure you And will. every member of the group has done interviews and they each have their own opinions, of course. Mm-hmm. So I took one from an interview with Stuart Copeland, which was published in The Guardian in 2020. So he said, for Sting, music was a painkiller, a way to escape from the evil, harsh, grim world uh, to to a place of utter, unassailable, unblemished beauty. He said, for me, it's a celebration. Let's light up this room and let's have fun. So this can overlap. We made five albums as a police, but the conflict grew and grew out of that diversity of purpose. And now we understand that uh, that and Sting and I get along famously as long as we're not playing music. Amazing. Imagine just fighting over music. All the time. You're just so happy with everything else, but then, you know, music plays. Just can't hang, a, hang out. <laughs> yeah. Probably shouldn't be in a band together. No. So the drum track was largely created through separate overdubs of each percussive instrument with the kick drum coming from the sample-based Oberheim DMX, of course. Course. Uh, well, the main backbeat was created by simultaneously playing a snare and a gong drum. To give the song more liveliness, Padgham asked Copeland to record the drum part in the studio's dining room in order to achieve some, quote, special sound effects. <laughs> I love it. Uh, the room, however, was so hot that Copeland's drumsticks had to be taped to his hands to avoid slippage. So sweaty. <clears throat> yep. A piano accompaniment uh, consisting of individual notes was added to complete the song's bridge. Padgham remembers that the band uh, and he had antagonized over that part for a long time with Sting fiddling around on the piano, banging away on the same note, which you hear it in the song. Padgham recalled the one note guitar solo and its hypnotic effect in the previous work with uh, XTC and suggested using a similar single note piano. So Every Breath You Take is Police and Sting's signature song. And in 2010 was estimated to generate between a quarter and a third of Sting's music publishment, uh, publishing income. Nice. Um, so this one hit number one, spoiler alert. So yes. we have some notes from Tom Braham at the yes. number ones on Stereo Gum. He said, funny thing about every breath you take, the police had their big moment of total American commercial dominance when the band itself was just about out of gas. The police had lived out virtually their entire career arc before every breath you take hit number one. They'd released their final album. Eddie Murphy had sung Roxanne in 48 Hours. Stink had acted in uh, Quadrophenia and Radio On and Dune. Stuart Copeland had scored Rumblefish. Sting and Copeland had stopped talking to each other. Within a year, the band had basically broken up. Yep. So uh, there you go. The album version of the song clocks in at 4 minutes and 13 seconds. They shave off a few seconds for the single, which clocks in at 3 minutes and 56 seconds. Both acceptable lengths. 
Of course they are. 63 versions of the single are listed on Discogs. The vast majority from 1983. There were a few re-releases in 84, 86, and 1990. There was also an MP3 release in 2022. But come on. Come on. (laughs) Most of the singles are 7-inch records, which featured a track called Murder by Numbers on the B-side. There were a couple of 12-inch records released, but there weren't any special remixes of the track. In the UK, there was a two-disc, seven-inch single released where the second disc included a remix of the track Truth Hits Everybody, as well as a live recording of Man in a Suitcase. I feel like the second disc was completely unnecessary. (laughs) Sounds like it. Like, it's like, okay, we're going to put the single that everybody wants on one side of one record, and then we're going to give you another record with two more B-sides. Ridiculous. The cover of the single has very familiar artwork. Um, It's very similar to the Synchronicity album, but with a black background instead of white. It has the band's name at the top and the name of the single at the bottom. I said, it's fine. Mm -hmm. The police have many, many compilation albums and collections, most of which contain this track. A couple of note. uh, We have Every Breath You Take, open parenthesis, the singles, close parenthesis. This is from 1986. We have Their Greatest Hits. We have Greatest Hits. We have Sting and the Police, The Very Best Of. We have another one called The Police. Yes. Another one called The 50 Greatest Songs. And we have Message in a Box, which is a four-disc box set of their complete recordings, which I owned. Nice. As for other compilation albums, I've got a couple where this track appeared. We have Chart Action 83. Yes. A KTEL compilation released in the U.S. in 1983. It also features the next track I'm going to discuss in a couple of episodes from now, Shock the Monkey. Yes. Uh, the rest of the track list is so-so. We have Star Tracks, a KTEL comp released in Canada in 1983 that I own. The cover yes. is truly, uh, clearly trying to appeal to both Star Wars and Star Trek lovers. Amazing. Uh, the track list on this one is pretty solid, but a few tracks that you could toss away. Uh, I have Hot Tracks, a KTEL comp released in Canada in 1984, which I own. Yes. The track list on this one is pretty good. It ends with one of our favorites, <laughs> I Can't Get to Sleep. Yes. <laughs> Overkill by Men at Work. Uh, yeah. Uh, Setlist FM has this uh, being performed uh, 251 times by the police, uh, which may seem like a small number for such a big hit, but remember, it was yeah. released in 1983 and the band had broken up by 1985. Yep. It would play, uh, or they would play it again during their 2007 and 2008 reunion tour, where I was fortunate enough to see them on July 3rd, 2007, nice. at the XL Energy Center in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, Every Breath You Take was the first song performed during the second encore. Right. Uh, Setlist FM also has this performed 2,354 times by 105 other artists. Uh, of course, the number one artist to perform it is Sting. Yes. There are other combinations of Sting and, uh, and other artists being at the top of the list. Um, I did see Sting perform this with Pete uh, yes. about uh, six years ago. Outside of Sting, Rod Stewart has performed this a number of times, along with Imagine Dragons. So there you go. Okay. The song appears on the soundtrack of the 1999 Julia Roberts movie Runaway Bride. It was also oh, yeah. used in Risky Business in 1983. Uh, okay. Speed 2 Cruise Control, which is listed here as being released in 1987. That would be 1997. Yes. Uh, we have The Replacements, 51st Dates, Young at Heart, 
what just happened and the heartbeats. And uh, when we get into the uh, when we get into the lyrics, it's interesting that it's in some of these uh, love stories. So you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Also, it's unfortunate that there's only a movie called The Heartbeats and not The Eyes. <laughs> the Eyes, that would be awesome. Uh, this was featured in several TV series. We have Knight Rider. We have uh, yes. The Office, the U.S. version. It was performed by Kevin in his police tribute band, Scrantonicity. That's right. Uh, we have Eli Stone, Parks and Recreation, South Park, Glee. Oh, disgusting. And Stranger Things. It right. also appeared in the third episode of the 2018 Netflix series Maniac, uh, where an odious character misinterprets the song and sings it to his fiance as if it were a love song. Love it. And why is that a problem? Well, let's talk about the lyrics. Do it. So I've got the lyrics written down here. Uh, my favorite is the bridge. Since you've gone, I've been lost without a trace. I dream at night, I can only see your face. I look around, but it's you I can't replace. I feel so cold, and I long for your embrace. I keep crying, baby, baby, please. And the way that Sting sa- sings it is awesome. Uh, do you have any lyrics that you like? That is a lot, that is a lot, of, a lot of favorite lyrics. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, it's a, it's a creepy song. Uh, and I do enjoy uh, talking about all the games that they're playing. Mm-hmm. So that that would be what I like, all the, all the games you play. So Sting wrote the song in 1982 in the aftermath of his separation from Fran- Francis Tomaldi, uh, Tomaldi and the beginning of his relationship with Trudy Styler. Great last name. <laughs> Styler. I love it. They're split with... Da- daughter of Irwin R. <laughs> yes. Their split was controversial, as The Independent reported in 2006. The problem was, he was already married uh, to f- actress Frances uh, Tomaldi, who just happened to be Trudy's best friend. Of course. Sting and Francis lived next door to Trudy in Bayswater, West London, for several years before the two of them became lovers. The affair was widely condemned. That's, that's some dirty dog stuff right there. Yep. The lyrics are the uh, words of a possessive lover who is watching every breath you take, every move you make. Yes. Uh, Sting recalled, I woke up in the middle of the night and that line was in my head. I sat down at the piano and had written it in half an hour. The tune itself is generic, an aggregate of hundreds of others, but the words are interesting. I think uh, it sounds like a comforting love song. I didn't realize at the time how sinister it is. I think mm-hmm. I was thinking of Big Brother surveillance and control. That's still pretty sinister. Yeah. So this is one of the most misinterpreted songs ever. It's about an obsessive stalker, but it sounds like a love song. Some people even use it as their wedding song. Terrible. In the 1983 interview with New Musical Express, Sting explained, I think it's a nasty little song, really rather evil. It's about jealousy and surveillance and ownership. Regarding the common misinterpretation of the song, he added, I think the ambiguity is intrinsic, intrinsic in the song. However, you treat it because the words are so sadistic. On one level, it's a nice love song, or a nice long song with the classic relative minor chords, of course. Of course. And underneath, there's this distasteful character talking about watching every move. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. There you go. Well Acor- done. According to the Back to Mono box set book, Every Breath You Take, uh, is influenced by a Gene Pitney song titled Every Breath I Take. Oh, okay. And uh, Led Zeppelin's song Dire Maker also contains the words Every Breath I Take, Every Move I Make. Nice. 
Uh, Sting rewrote the lyrics when he performed this at the 2005 Live 8 concert. Oh, he did, did he? Yes, he did. Sting included the line, We'll be watching you, to mean the world would keep an eye on politicians making critical decisions on the fate of Africa. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, big difference that you made, Sting. (laughs) Yep. Good job. Way to go, Sting. Uh, So, there are other people who have opinions of this song. No. Uh, I know, right? The internet. Let's hear it. Uh, there's, I got quite a bit here from uh, song meetings. So okay, uh, here we go. Broken Telephone 78 said, If anybody ever stalked me like this, I would punch them in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would. Uh-huh. Uh, Art 1181613 said, This song is heavily about the New World Order and the gr- Green Carbon Footprint Movement. It's been in the works for decades. Wake up. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, PJ10 said (laughs) Jeremy Spoken. (laughs) PJ10 said I saw an interview with Sting where he said he wrote the song about the Cold War but people just assumed it was a stalkerish love song. So I would say that he wrote, he did write a song about the Cold War. It was called Russians. Yes, he did. Uh, Mr. Brightside Ooh, okay. There's going to be a good opinion here. Oh, you can you guess what Mr. Brightside has to say? Very <laughs> obscure on. song. I don't know if it's obscure. No. Similar to the killer song, Andy, you're a star. <laughs> You've got to stop. You know, well, you have to stop with that. Yep. Yep. Uh, so then we have uh, high row lyrics, and this is a long one, okay? Okay. Okay. He says, Who cares what it's about? The music is great. Stalkerish, creepy are pop words for shallow, vapid cunts to describe <laughs> dudes they're personally not attracted to. Thanks oh to God. those little girls, these words have lost any real value for me unless I ever witness an actual stalking and not some petty bullshit. Amazing. He then says, and I put no. this in red font. I think it's because I have to uh, censor some of the things I say from here. Yes. One girl commenting here could overlook her, quote, hot boyfriend's supposed creepiness because he sang a fucking song regardless of the fact that she willingly chose to be in a relationship with him and he most likely hasn't ever ripped off a total stranger's clothes after following her home from work to bleep 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 oh my god in the bleep against her will (laughs) what who are these people regardless of the fact that 95% of the dudes branded with these terms have never done that either and I'd like to hope a vast majority of them wouldn't do it under the guise of anonymity due to having a conscious or whatever. Oh my god. Besides that, interpret however you want uh, if that's your will. Sting's not going to give two fucks either way. <laughs> god. You know, that dude's a fucking weirdo. There is some problems there. Uh, any thoughts on the lyrics before we go to reception? No, I think we can move on. All right. Every breath you take entered the Billboard Hot 100 chart during the week of June 4th, 1983 (laughs) at number 36, which is pretty high for a debut. Between No Time for Talk by Christopher Cross and All My Life by Kenny Rogers, No Time for Talk would peak at number 33. It seems like uh, one of the lesser singles from the album Another Page. Pretty generic stuff. All My Life peaked at number 37. So this is the week that it peaked. I wrote It's No Good. No Good. Okay. Every Breath You Take peaked at number one during the week of July 9th, 1983, and it would stay there for eight consecutive weeks. 
Yikes. Here is the top 10 in the U.S. for the week of July 9th, 1983. Uh, Every Breath You Take, number one. Number two, Electric Avenue by Eddie Grant. Nice. Number three, Flashdance, What a Feeling by Irene Cara. Number four, Never Gonna Let You Go by Sergio Mendez. Num- number five, Too Shy by Kajagoogoo. <laughs> shy, shy. Uh, number six, Want to Be Starting Something by Michael Jackson. Number seven, Time, Open Parenthesis, Clock of the Heart, Close Parenthesis by Culture Club. Number eight, Come Dancing by The Kinks. Number nine, Don't Let It End by Styx. And number 10, Our House by Madness. So, nice. okay. Uh, during that same week, Prince's 1999, the first song we ever talked about on this podcast, was also on the chart. It was falling. It came in at number 17. Nice. Every Breath You Take reached number one in Canada for four weeks over the course of August 1983. Um, unfortunately, there are no editions of RPM Magazine for August of 1983. Uh, I so know. I've, seen, I've run into that a bit recently. Yeah. So here's the uh, week of July 30th, 1983. Okay. Uh, Want to be starting something at number one. Every breath you take at number two, just about to hit number one. Flashdance, What a Feeling at three. Electric Avenue at number four. Billy Idol and White Wedding at number five. Come Dancing at number six. Is There Something I Should Know by Duran Duran at seven. Putting on the Ritz by Taco at number eight. <laughs> My God. Uh, CanCon, Hot Girls in Love by Loverboy at number nine. China Girl by David Bowie at number ten. Uh, I do not do not like that list as much as the no. uh, U.S. list. For sure. Uh, editor Walt Grealis had this to say during the same week. Uh, he said in the Walt Says article in RPM Magazine. Yes. Uh, what this country needs, he says, record sales in the U.S. have taken a turnabout and are now making retailers happy. The reason customers are coming into stores, once again, is the incredible popularity of MTV. A recent 2020 special on the MTV phenomenon revealed that some listeners watch for up to four hours a day of the 24-hour music channel. The video game junkies have graduated, if that's the proper description to MTV junkies. The winners are the record companies. However, the closest that Canadians can get to MTV is through very expensive dishes, and it's unlikely the CRTC are prepared to look at a proposal for a similar setup in Canada. They're too busy pondering over a sports channel. Yes. Of course, later we would get much music in Canada. So good job, Walt. Yes. In the United Kingdom, Every Breath You Take was the band's fifth number one. It topped the UK singles charts for four weeks beginning on May 29th, 1983. Your top 10, Every Breath You Take number one. Number two, Bad Boys by Wham. Yes. Number three, New Edition with Candy Girl. Love it. Uh, Number four, fucking fantastic track, Yazoo with Nobody's Diary. Yep. Number five, Can't Get Used to Losing You by The Beat. Number six, Buffalo Soldier by Bob Marley and the Whalers. Uh-huh. Uh, number seven, Just Got Lucky by Joe Boxers. Number eight, <laughs> Love Town by Booker Newbury Third. I love it. <laughs> number nine, Temptation by Heaven 17. Number 10, True by Spandau Ballet. The UK wins. Oh, yeah. For sure. So this was a massive, massive, massive hit all around the world. And so uh, I actually found a new chart. Yes. On October 7th, 1983, after 15 weeks ascending, it hit number one in South Africa. Yes. Here's the top 10 in October of 1983 on the South African charts blog that I found. Amazing. Every breath you take at number one, Rod Stewart and Baby Jane at two. Putting on the Ritz at three, Elvis Astaire with Soft Shoes at four, Candy Girl is at five, Flashdance, What a Feeling at six, some CanCon, 
Uh, Men Without Hats in the Safety Dance at 7. Yes. Buffalo Soldier at 8. I guess that's why they call it The Blues by Elton John at number 9. And Rock and Roll is King by ELO at number 10. So uh, uh, Elvis Astaire was known, also known as the King of Swing. Uh-huh. Um, I, I don't... I, I, I'm struggling to find out any more about Elvis Astaire, but it looks like terrible music. Mm-hmm. Uh, this stayed at number one in South Africa for two weeks and was replaced at number one by Candy Girl. All right. Uh, peak positions... Yeah, masters of Apartheid. <laughs> yes. Keeping it real on the charts. Uh, so, peak positions around the world. Number two in Australia. Again, number one in Canada. Nine in Denmark. Five in Finland. Uh, number one in Ireland. In Israel. Number three in Italy. Number three in the Netherlands. Six in New Zealand. Two in Norway. Uh, number one in South Africa, as we said. And, uh, you know, basically like a top five hit in so most of the world. So you're saying it was popular. It was. It was the number around one single. A number one single of 1983 in both uh, Canada and the U.S. We don't see that very often, folks, when we do these year ends. No. On this show. I, I don't think that we've seen this once before in the uh, in the 109, uh, eight previous episodes. Uh, decade end performance in the U.S. It was, uh, for the 80s, the number fifth ranked uh, single. Yep. In terms of certifications, <laughs> uh, in the U.S. certified gold, in the U.K., two times platinum, uh, two times platinum in Portugal, Italy, platinum in Denmark, Canada, 150,000. So I believe that that is gold yes. in Canada at the 26th annual Grammy Awards. The song was nominated for three Grammys. We have song of the year, which it won. So uh, I think in Canada, platinum is 100,000. Yeah. So 150 so is platinum. So yeah. Platinum. Platinum yeah. and a half. There you go. <laughs> Uh, so it won Song of the Year. Other nominees were All Night Long, All Night by Lionel Richie, Beat It, Billie Jean, both by Michael Jackson, and Maniac by Michael Sambello. Yes. It won, uh, it won Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals. Other nominees were Do You Really Want to Hurt Me by Culture Club, uh, How Do You Keep the Music Playing by James Ingram and Patty Austin, and The Girl Is Mine. <laughs> Ugh. Disgusting. Yeah, Paul McCartney and uh, Michael Jackson and Islands in the Stream by Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. And Record of the Year, it did not win. The winner was Beat It. Other yeah. nominees were All Night Long, Flashdance, What a Feeling, and Maniac. Okay. Uh, for the song, Sting received the 1983 Ivor Novello Award for Best Song Musically and Lyrically from the British Academy of Songwriters, Composers, and Authors. The other nominees were Pipes of Peace by Paul McCartney. Oh, my God. Uh, and then True, which was written by Gary Kemp and performed by Spandau Ballet. Yeah. In May 2019, it was recognized by BMI as being the most played song in radio history. Ooh, okay. With nearly 15 million radio plays, Sting received a BMI award at a ceremony held at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel in Beverly Hills to mark it as the most performed song in BMI's catalog. Uh, so there you go. In the 1983 Rolling Stone Critics and Readers poll, it was voted Song of the Year. Billboard ranked it the number one song for 1983. It ranked at number 84 on Rolling Stone's list of 500 greatest songs of all time and is included in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. It also ranked at number 25 on Billboard's Hot 100 all-time top songs uh, in... Uh, they don't have a year for that. In 2008, Q Magazine named it among the top 10 British songs of the 80s. 
In 2015, the song was voted by the British public as the nation's favorite 80s number one in a UK-wide poll for ITV. On Spotify, it has over 1.4 billion streams. And the official music video has over 1 billion views on YouTube in uh, 13 years since it was posted. Nice. So, uh, covers and samples. Do it. So, let's go to the most famous one. Uh Uh-huh. Diddy... At the time known as Puff Daddy, sampled Puff, this. Puff Daddy. <laughs> P- Diddy, P. Diddy. Ugh. Puffy. Yeah, uh, he, sam- he, sam- he sampled this on a track called I'll Be Missing You, his 1997 tribute to rapper Notorious B.I.G. Sting didn't know about the sample until after the song was released. He may ended up making lots of money. Money, brother. He claimed he put his kids through college with the proceeds, and I thought... Does he have a thousand kids? Because you're <laughs> yes. gonna pay you're gonna pay a lot of tuition with that the, with the fucking royalties oh, from that song. Oh my god! Uh, at the MTV Music Video Awards, Sting actually performed "I'll Be Missing You" with P Diddy, and the yes. two are uh, remain friends. Uh, from Tom Brahan, he said the police only ever managed one number one hit in America, but it was a big one. The song was so big, in fact, that it'll be in this column more than once, thanks to an obvious sample that returned with every breath you take um, or the medley to the top spot 14 years later. In yeah. fact, if you combine every breath you take with uh, I'll Be Missing You, then it is a non-consecutive 19-week run at number one. Wow. So that was uh, a record until Old Town Road broke yes. that uh, record in 2019. In fine company. <laughs> yep. I'll Be Missing You hit number one uh, on the Billboard Hot 100 chart during the week of June 14th, 1997, where it would remain for 11 weeks. Uh, The top 10 for June 14th, 1997. Yes. I'll Be Missing You at number one. At number two, MMM Bop by Hanson. MMM Bop. Uh, Number three, Say You'll Be There by Spice Girls. Uh, Number four, we just talked about this one, Return to the Mac by Mark Morrison. Nice. Number five, Hypnotized by Notorious B.I.G., Number six, The Freshman by The Verve Pipe. Oh, my God. Number seven, I Belong to You, open parenthesis, Every Time I See Your Face, close parenthesis, by Rome. Number eight, It's Your Love by Tim McGraw with Faith Hill. Number nine, I think you said this one before, G-H-E-T-T-O-U-T. I did. Get uh, out. Get out by Changing Faces. And at number 10, Meredith Brooks with Bitch. Nice. A few other samples of note. Uh, Weird Al sampled a snippet of this song in his Polkas on 45 medley from 1984. Uh, there are 35 other samples listed on who sampled, but I didn't take note of any of them because why? Why, yeah. As for covers, there are 151 listed on who sampled. Jesus. I'll just note a few notable artists who covered the, uh, this one. We have uh, UB40. Mm-hmm. We have Violent Femmes. I wrote I Don't Like It. No. Nope. We have Joan Osborne. We have Everclear. I wrote, I had to listen to it. It sucks. <laughs> yes. I have 8-Bit Universe. I said, it's okay. And I have the Rockabye Baby version, which I wrote, it's not that bad. The song is played on the xylophone with lots of fun percussion. So there, there you go. You go. Right on. Uh, music video time. All right. So this was released in the early days of MTV. So it was one of the earliest videos to enter heavy rotation. Probably helped that they were all white. Of course it did. 
and uh, Tom Brahan said, part of the perfect storm impact of Every Breath You Take is that it was the police's first song to hit America during the MTV era. The video is truly special, a stately piece of black and white filmmaking that uses light and shadow to build entire worlds out of Sting's whole cheekbone situation. Yep. Uh, directors Kevin Godley and uh, I lo- Lol Krem. Godley and Cream. Uh-huh. I love That's the LOL. Fame. Yep. Krem. Krem sounds yep. better. Uh, former members of 10CC who'd become early MTV auteurs. Based Every Breath You Take, uh, the video on Jam in the Blues, a 1944 short film about jazz musicians. Uh, From Song Facts, what was the window washer doing there? In a Song Facts interview with co-director Kevin Godley, he explained, the window washer felt right for that kind of noir feel, but it also may be somebody who you just don't expect to be watching the process, which refers to that sense of surveillance that the song is really about. We specifically did not want to know his story. The video was praised for its cinematography. MTV, Rolling Stone, and VH1 named it one of the best music videos ever um, on their respective lists, 16th, 61st, and 33rd. Uh, Daniel Pearl won the first MTV Cinematography Award for his work on the video. Uh, I have a couple of very quick notes. Okay. Number one, I wonder how irritated those dudes were having to be in the same room with each other. Yes. I just imagine they were so upset to be there together. Uh, I then wrote, Sting is 80% of this video. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's rocking out when playing a giant orchestral bass is pretty cool, but still, it's a lot of Sting. Yes. And then I said, uh, that being said, the song doesn't lend itself to the most impressive visuals when it comes to watching the band play their individual parts. Um, so, yeah, that was my thoughts on the video. Do you have any thoughts or do you want to rate it? I'll rate it. All right, start with the video. So uh, my thoughts were, look at these artistes. It's like a French film, <laughs> Les Cigarettes. Uh, Sting pretending to play an upright bass when the bass on the track is a standard electric bass. Uh-huh. I found that hilarious. Uh, this treatment, I felt fit, fit the sinister tone of the song. The lads look ultra cool, which is half the battle with the music video. Really, I'm going to give this a 6 out of 10. Yeah, I like the video. I mean, I guess at the time it was considered a breakthrough video. I, I, I think it's nice. Yes. It's not terribly entertaining. I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it. Um, wouldn't turn it off. It helps that the song is good. Um, it's professionally done. Um, I think the band looks fine uh, in the video. But again, it's not the most exciting song to make a visual out of. Uh, I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10 as well. Uh, what good you... work, uh, Godly and Cream. <laughs> Got a six from the Super It's podcast. Uh, what do you give the song? Uh, so if there's any song that could like manage to taint the original, it's that Puff Daddy track. Yep. I mean, that was a disaster. I mean, there, 1997, that, oh, that summer, that, that, that song, awful. Yep. But uh, at least uh, Sting is getting paid boatloads for that one. Song's a classic. It's not my favorite by any stretch. Uh, but it's got a cool feel. It definitely has unique sound, especially for the time. I'm not super enthusiastic, but at the same time, I can't slam it. Uh, and that mid-song breakdown is an all-timer, and it's also way too short. But I'm going to go 6 out of 10. Yeah, I love the bridge to the song. I think that that part alone is a 10 out of 10 uh, bit of music. Yeah. Uh, I think that the song is great, but it is not one of my... It's not my favorite Police song, but it's it's a, a song that I love by the Police uh-huh. out, uh, out of many... Uh, I do like that people misinterpret it. I, that amuses me to no end. That's great. 
Uh, and it's, you know, again, this is one of those songs I've said before, like for Eye of the Tiger, for example, where, you know, after 40 years, it's like, all right, like I've heard okay. it. I've heard uh, it so this, much. Yes. Yeah, this one, I don't feel the same way. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be so quick to turn it off. Uh, it's just an easy one to listen to. I'm giving it a good score, seven out of 10. Right on, buddy. And so, uh, what have you got cooking for next time? Uh, coming up on Friday, we're going to, uh, Go back to 1980 with uh, Diana Ross making her second appearance on the Super Hits podcast. I'm sure she's excited. Yep. Uh, and we're going to take a look at Upside Down. I'm, 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 I'm excited. Ah, it's very exciting. So if you have any thoughts on the police, on Godly and Cream, yes. on Diana Ross, on anything that we've uh, shared with you or any requests, I mean, put in requests. We've already picked our songs pretty much all the way through the summer. Well, uh, we, we, have a, we have a couple little spots. I think we have a couple little uh, areas there. We can slot some things in still. Yeah. So, so you, don't, don't be afraid. Yeah, if you slide in a request, we'll try to make it happen. But uh, in the meantime, hit us up at Super Hits Cast on Twitter, at Super Hits Podcast on Instagram, Super Hits Podcast at gmail.com. By the way, no one has claimed the free Kula Shaker ticket. Jeez, I'm so shocked. If you hit us up, I have a ticket to Kula Shaker at Lee's Palace in Toronto on September 11th. Uh, if you want that ticket, all you have to do is say, please give me the ticket, and you will get it for free. So hit us up. I'm sure you yeah. won't. Anyways, uh, I am Alan on all the social medias. Slip with five eyes or sleep. I'm Jamie C. My website is megamix.com.com. Thanks for listening, friends, and defund the police. <laughs> Bye. We'll